Hello everybody and welcome to episode 72 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, an update on last week's Alex Maurer DMCA story. It is with a heavy heart that I must report Notch is at it again. Zelda DLC features Master Mode difficulty, may as well be called Fuck You Mode. The Bandicoot is back. And later on in the show, we are joined by friend of the show, Barry Murphy, the Barry Lad from Twitter, to talk Life is Strange. Let's start the show. This is episode 72 of Link to the Cast. I am your party host, as always, Dave Ryan, joined on the line, as I am every week, by the platforming prodigy that is Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you? Look, can I already just get it out of the way that I haven't uploaded my video for Monday already this week, so we don't need to talk about that at the end. All right? I'm still gonna, I'll still hit you with it at the end. It's, <laughs> it's tradition at this point. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm fine. I'm Yeah, actually, no, I'm, I'm in a pretty good mood. Um, the day's been fine. The week has been fine. Uh, the weather is uh, mild and manageable. It's humid, I would say. It's kind of muggy here. Like it's not... See, the house is okay. The house hasn't um, yeah. been that bad. Yeah, our house is is generally fine. Like my room is a bit of a sauna because I always uh, we were talking about this yesterday. My room is at the back of the house and gets the sun all the live long day. Yeah, and as well because we're a mid terraced house, that the heat doesn't escape the house very well, which is great in winter, but it leads to like I said, sauna conditions in my room sometimes. So pretty much all the winter, all the summer months of the year, my window remains completely open. If I'm at home, or I die. You have the same issue as me in. Um... In my old house, where your bedroom window was directly attached to the garden, um, and as a result, because you know wildlife is a plenty in the garden, just in the summer, like I would just keep my windows closed. Like I would rather burn alive like a dog in a car than have to deal with flies in my room. That was the choice yeah. that I was willing to make. Yeah, with the odd exception of a, a fly that crept in here just as we were about to record, uh, I've been doing better since last night because I leave the window open, but I got myself one of them citronella candles because you know I'm a member of a. Uh, candle twitter strong i know my candles it's the candle and... club yeah indeed it's been keeping uh flies away from my window uh but i obviously haven't lit it yet because one snuck in um yeah it's also hay fever season which is like the fifth s- subtle season that you get in ireland uh which is somewhere nestled in between summer and autumn where it's not quite warm enough to be summer not quite uh kind of uh cold or or wet enough to be autumn just yet but uh there's definitely a lot of pollen in the air and uh i'm not a big hay fever sufferer usually but this time of year it like there'll be a few days that get me and, and today is one of those days so i apologize for any uh sniffles that may be caught on microphone during this broadcast um but otherwise it's been a good week i think mark like you were saying good mood Th- things are things are going pretty well we saw a little film we did uh, we did we saw week. baby driver one baby driver. What a film that is, eh? Oh, Edgar Wright, he's pretty good at the whole directing thing. He he's absolutely smashed it again. I think yeah. uh, we're we're big fans on the show of uh, Edgar Wright. I think uh, I can safely say. Are there any of his films that you're not you're not massively on board with or uh, I'm, product? I, I, the World's End is okay, but I think just because of what came before with Shaun of the Dead and and particularly Hot Fuzz. Um, I feel that the ending of of The World's End, and quite a bit of it actually in general, doesn't really stick with me. But, you know, the first two, and obviously uh, I think one of the the kind of key things that me and you bonded over uh, was um, 
Scott Pilgrim. So, oh. you know, uh, in general, he's 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 pretty solid. But yeah, I'd say maybe The World's End is the one that I yeah. can kind of give or take on. Scott Pilgrim, I think to this day, is still the best video game movie ever made by some distance. And That's a it fair was... shout. And it's because he didn't base it on a video game, just based it on an idiot who thinks he's the star of his own video game. And it's how I live uh, my life. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good film. I like all his stuff. I really like The World's End. The one criticism I always had of his stuff, and I think Baby Drivers is probably the same. Um, myself and Jack, friend of the show, Jack Lazell, were talking about this recently. And it's that uh, Edgar Wright doesn't necessarily know how to end the film. Uh, like, see, now, because I know Jack was, uh, I, I was talking to him about this as well. And I kind of see it for a few of the films. I don't particularly see it with Hot Fuzz, though. I haven't watched that film in a while. Um, and I don't really see it with Baby Driver. I think it, it ties up the, the package. Well, well, that, that what it, Jack's argument is, and I definitely would agree with it, is that he, Edgar Wright feels a need to tie up the entire universe in a really rushed, like, five-minute segment at the end. Possibly. There's, like, a perfect end to the dramatic arc like, say, for example, in Shaun of the Dead, the scene in the basement is probably the best dramatic way to end that. And then it goes on another five minutes after that. Same could be said for The World's End, uh, where they do the, you know, what happens after the scene when they when they go down under the bar. Um, Scott Pilgrim is different because it's an adapted work. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think the, the, the scene at the end, I won't spoil Baby Driver, but the, the scene at the end that kind of like skips a bit forward through time, I think was a bit unnecessary to be honest but possibly that's just me i think if it ends with that scene there's a scene near the very end on a bridge if it had ended there i think that's perfect i mean you have to take into account i don't know how edgar wright goes about this but you always have to take into account um like preview uh showings what the audience members say you have the studio as well like all of that can come into account and now edgar wright doesn't strike me as a director that will pay as much attention to that but there's always kind of external factors that may play a part um i i can kind of see where both you and jack are coming from it didn't bother me as much but you know, no it, there's it, criticism I, to be had i guess yeah i wouldn't say it's something that bothers me it's just something that the both of us have well, definitely noticeable. noticed yeah yeah um but it's a really really good movie uh ansel elgort who plays the the nominal baby who is a driver um, is fantastic in it, even though I haven't seen him in all that much. Um, he's only like, he, he's relatively a, a newcomer to uh, being the lead in a film. I think John Hamm is, is fabulous, as John Hamm always is. Uh, one of my small crit- criticisms is that uh, John Bernthal, who's in, in it at the very start, isn't in that film nearly enough because he's great. Yeah. Um, Kevin Spacey, fantastic. But I hey, think it's, got... it's just Kevin Spacey's Kevin Spacey, you know. Yeah, I think Kevin Spacey has gotten to a point in his career now where he's so synonymous with Frank Underwood from House of Cards that it, it you forget that he's one of the great character actors of his generation. See, and... I've never watched House of Cards, so I can only see Kevin. Sp- I, I just see Kevin Spacey as just a caricature of Kevin Spacey. Yeah, something about the way he's dressed as well and it is very Frank Underwood. Uh, and obviously he would have been filming that show in parallel with any movies he's doing around now. But uh, yeah, there was definitely like, if it, all he was missing was the Southern drawl to be a real Frank Underwood in that movie. Um, Edgar Wright as well, I think, is one of the best directors going at the moment. We talked about this on the way back from the cinema that night. One of the best directors going at shooting action scenes. 
like uh, for all that there's a lot of people who aren't really huge fans of The World's End but the, the fight scenes in that are incredibly well choreographed uh, same in Scott Pilgrim and the car chase scenes are uh, for want of a better term sumptuous in Baby Driver well it's a combination of uh, certainly with um, Baby Driver the, the usage of practical effects and, and not uh, an overuse on CGI I think there's only a few scenes in the film that use it uh, and uh, he knows how to use quick cuts in a way that are effective, but also doesn't rely on them heavily to the point that you get a headache. And my go-to I always use is Quantum of Solace for a, a film that does qu- uh, quick cuts poorly. Uh, I was going to say, shield, shield matches. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely think just to, to watch from the perspective of uh, just kind of filmmaking and as a director, like there's a lot to really appreciate this about this film. Yeah, and like uh, I said as well, like he's he's great at doing a more subtle uh, genre movie than Quentin Tarantino. I'm a big fan of Quentin Tarantino, but uh, like I was saying to you and Brian, there's a certain point in Quentin Tarantino's films where he may as well lean into frame and go, "I'm doing a Kurosawa revenge movie here." Get it? I mean, you know, in a way that is part of the charm of Tarantino. Yeah, 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 but yeah, again, yeah. it is a, an argument that can be made. But yeah, like, uh, if if you go into a Tarantino film and don't expect that or surprise when that happens is like mm. have you watched the tarantino film before yeah yeah whereas, whereas edgar wright i think is much more kind of lets the the art speak for itself sure. in a more subtle way like you can see how films like bullet have inspired it uh, without him necessarily completely yeah you I mean, know. it's a great car chase heist kind of film you know? mm, absolutely uh definitely recommended uh and a great and... soundtrack as well very much in that kind of guardian's tone of the soundtrack mm. helps define the film that much more yeah, I think the the Edgar Wright had a season of films down at the BFI recently, uh, and I think the name that he gave to that season of films really sums up the the tone of Baby Driver perfectly. And that season of films was called Car Car Land <laughs> because it very much is like it, it's a car chase heist movie, but it's also a musical in certain ways. Like, there's no original music numbers or anything like that, but. The, the film has a very musical quality to it at the same time, and it is hung on its soundtrack uh, a lot in a very good way. Uh, it still hasn't topped. Uh, my favourite car chase film of all time is still Jewel. Um, I, I feel that will never be topped because there's, there's just something really masterful about that film. But yeah, Baby Driver is a great film and definitely, uh, definitely, definitely worth going to see if you're yeah. in any way inclined into uh, Edgar Wright's films. Shall we talk about some video games, Mark? Yeah, why not? Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, I'm back in the well. <laughs> Breath of the are, Wild. Are you at the bottom me. of the well? Is there a bottom oh, of the, the well? I'm deep at the bottom of the well. We are now passing the 100 hour count Good in God. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And I'm not even close. I'm not even close. I was going to say, is this in part to the the DLC that dropped, or just you that's know, kind still of uh, exploring? Well, and... when I when I went on assignment recently, when I, I went off my holidays to Prague, I kind of picked Zelda back up a little bit. Uh, it was kind of split between that and Puyo Puyo Tetris while I was traveling. But um, I can say for sure that uh, the the bug is back now uh, with the DLC added, so that there's a bunch of different quests. Like as soon as you if you get the so. The, the DLC for Breath of the Wild is coming in two parts. The first part arrived last Friday, and the second part will arrive in November. Um, 
this is the kind of more loosely affiliated group of DLC because I think the the second uh, DLC drop is mainly centered around a story-based expansion to the game. Uh, This is more kind of nebulous. It's a bunch of quests uh, to find... Uh, rare masks and gear items and then there's um the trial of the sword and, and there's a new mode as well which we'll be talking about in the news section but um i've been having a lot of fun with it uh like the the gear masks are the gears and the masks are kind of some of them are handy so there's you're familiar mark even though you haven't played it yet with the the idea of korok seeds in the game yeah so you collect, the, there's Koroks hidden in plain sight. Whenever you're walking around in the world and you see something slightly amiss, it's probably because there's a Korok hidden somewhere nearby. So if you put the thing that's missing back into place, or if you move something around in that place where something seems weird, there will be a Korok, he will give you a Korok seed. Uh, you collect the Korok seeds and you go find Hestu, who's a giant Korok, Korok that looks like a, a dancing broccoli with maracas. And he will kind of give you additional inventory slots in exchange for your Korok seeds. Uh, the Korok mask allows you, it's kind of like a divining rod for Koroks is the best way I'd, I'd put it. If you're wearing the mask, I think it's that your controller will start to vibrate strongly when you get closer and closer to where there's a Korok. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be fairly handy for people that are having a bit of difficulty, although I'm not entirely sure how you could not find at least some because there are over 700 on the map from what I know of. And uh, you only need about 200 to max out all your slots. So you don't need to find all of them unless you're really trying to 100% the game. Um, there's other cool stuff like literally right before we recorded here on, on the bus home to uh, start recording here, I got Majora's Mask. And that's just cool and creepy. And apparently uh, it helps uh, make you nearly invisible to certain types of enemies in the world. I thought it just helps you, you know, destroy the world. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Um, I've seen pictures of the Tingle outfit and just... It's a bit of a a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Um, Tingle. So then there's the Trial of the Sword. And the Trial of the Sword, basically... So you get the Master Sword at a certain point when you follow uh, one of the, the side quest routes. Uh, in the game, uh, I won't spoil how because I'm trying to go through this entire game without using a guide, which is great and really, really challenging. And if anybody else wants to do that, I don't want to spoil their fun. But you get the Master Sword, or as it's referred to in the game, it's 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 called the Master Sword sometimes, but it's more often than not referred to because it's you know it's passed into the point of legend uh, around the time that this game takes place. So most people refer to it as the Sword that Seals the Darkness, which mm-hmm. is a pretty badass name for a sword. Um, once you get it, if you have the DLC, there will now be an additional uh, quest back in the place where you found the Master Sword, shall we say. And uh, by going back there, you start this trial of the sword. So the, when you put the sword back onto its plinth, um, you go into what looks like it, it has the music of a shrine. You teleport into it like you would a shrine. But what it basically is, is kind of like something in Stardew Valley, like the mines in Stardew Valley, where you go floor by floor and clear out all the enemies. Uh, except instead of Stardew, where if you find the stairs, you can skip the level, you can skip the floor without killing everybody. You have to kill everybody on each floor uh, to progress. You get all your armor, all your food, all your items, all your weapons taken off you when you go in. You can only fight with what you find uh, inside in this trial. You get it all back at the end, obviously. Um, and the whole point of it is to uh, they the kind of the hint is that it will unlock the true power of the sword. 
Um, so I, I got about 10 levels in before things started getting a bit difficult. I mean, maybe 15 levels. Um, and I thought, I must be near the end here. And it was at that point where I looked on my Twitter feed on my laptop next to me and happened to see an article that Kotaku shared in the title of which it mentioned that there are 60 fucking floors to this trial. I was Get like, good, son. no, no, I, I'm okay. I'll come back another day. That's that's fine. I, I, I know where this is going to go. I'm not prepared for this shit. Um, especially when if you look on the, the trailers for the game, there's like floors where they're just entirely packed with those guardian things that are absolute nightmares to beat if you don't have something like the Master Sword. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it, it's got the bug back into me. Uh, I really enjoy when DLC packs are such that they, they make you go, oh yeah, I really like that game. I'll pick that game up again. Um, but yeah, I'm still nowhere near completing that game. I was just saying to Jack last night that uh, I think in spite of the new heat map, so there's a, basically a heat map that shows you in this new DLC that shows you everywhere you've walked, like all the roads you've walked on. And despite that it looks like I've pretty much covered the entire face of the earth in that game, I still can't find about 40 of the shrines. I'm I'm gonna get really upset when I start playing this, aren't I? <laughs> like in the best way, you will get upset. Oh, yeah, You're sure. A very sick person. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Jesus. then there's like there's a few I haven't cleared either, and like I've only found about a hundred or so of the Korok seeds as well. So it's... and you've been com- doing this completely blind as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine I imagine a lot of stuff gets a bit easier if you start using guides. But sure. again, I I prefer to go blind, and if I absolutely get completely stuck maybe someday I'll go to the guides if I start getting fed up. But, like, I've played 100 hours in that game and I still haven't found the Hylian Shield. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I, have, I have found people who have suggested where it might be. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll work my way there eventually, I suppose. Um, someday. Someday I might have it. Can't wait to come yeah. to you for the next 100 hours and be like, oh, Dave, this is really cool. And you go, yeah, yeah, did that about 70 hours ago. But Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah welcome to my March yeah, of 2017. Yeah, yeah um, so that's Zelda anyway. I'm sure there'll be another update on that as uh, events warrant. Uh, there's another game we've both kind of played uh, in the last couple of weeks, and that is Injustice 2, the sequel to Injustice Gods Among Us. Uh, Mark, do you want to take this for a minute to talk about your experience with it? I'll yeah. kind of chime in. I'll be oh. talking for a while here. Oh, I mean, I, I just blitzed through the story mode um in the span of two days and then uh, messed around with the, the multiverse for a bit but you know if you liked any of the the never realm games um i really enjoyed mortal kombat 9 and x i i thought the original injustice was was great um i do feel that the way they they present those games uh, in regards to the story mode in the campaign, I feel like they might not be able to get away with this again. Uh, probably, definitely not with uh, another Mortal Kombat, because the, the last one went way off in terms of absurdity. Um, although maybe they can, I don't know. But just that uh, execution of here are a bunch of uh, stages that you play in the kind of normal arcade mode, and then we're going to find a way to conveniently tie them all together through this very well put together story mode uh with a combination of different uh fights um i i, I feel that never actually do a really good job of that certainly better than say the the tech and tekken 7 uh story mode which i i was shocking like the voice acting here is uh solid the the scripting the the uh, the writing is all solid you know there's no issues there uh, in terms of a fighting game, again, if you played Neverrealm, uh, Neverrealm games, you kind of know what to expect. Um, the it, 
it's fast it feels satisfying it was yeah, a bit there's, jar- there's a real there's a real kind of crunch to them yeah it was a bit jarring because um the the circle button is is kind of different to how it works in in Mortal Kombat and certainly because I, I played a whole bunch of Tekken 7 before this uh, so it, it works as like a kind of character specific special uh, uh action if you will and so it, it differs between each of the characters um so it's a bit weird having triangle square and x as your kind of like main attack buttons but after a while it it kind of makes sense and yeah you know it didn't take too long and it was kind of chaining some combos together um the one thing that i finally established how the hell it works and you was laughing at me as i was just raging with it is uh there's this kind of wager mechanic system and i i get it now i still don't think i particularly like it as a mechanic um but i do kind of understand why it's in there because yeah it's kind of a it's kind of almost like to me um the fighting game equivalent of throwing in a blue shell kind of but if you think about it like so in in injustice you have uh, kind of, or if you played any of the, the the last two Mortal Kombat games, you have like these X-ray moves where you have a bar that kind of uh, continuously reaches to um, the point where it's full. And uh, so in Mortal Kombat, you do these X-ray moves, which is this kind of spectacular uh, cutscene, uh, which is quite violent and gruesome, and it takes a, a large chunk of health away. And it's the same every single time, so it's fun to watch once, and then after you've seen it thirty times, you're like, okay, I get the gimmick. With Injustice, it has the same thing. Not quite as gruesome, but still spectacular. Um, But what you can also do as well, instead of using the full bar for that, is that uh, you can break a combo sequence and go into this uh, kind of wager scene where you you both got your arms up against each other and there's a bit of banter between both people. And you can wager whether you want to use uh, one bar of this thing that's been charged up or you can use all or anywhere up to all four bars if you have four bars charged up um and so if you have more that you you've decided to to wage um you might get extra life back you might chip away at your opponent's health and it just it seems a bit i don't know there's no real skill to it um because it's like as soon as as soon as you've used your um x-ray move or special move your opponent is immediately going to use theirs um to do like a combo breaker and then obviously you've got no bar you've you have no bars left and they have a full four uh, bars to use so just there's not really a lot of skill involved with it well i i think what it is is trying to add an element of strategy to it where like are you going to burn off your meter um trying to like if you do one of these clashes you can recoup some health yeah um or are you going to try and use it like burn it off by like you said using one of those special moves where you can try and even though you you might be in need of a bit of health you can try and kill them quicker than they can kill you sort of thing and then like you said yeah you could be smart and go well this person might be tempted to use their special move and then if i can either dodge that or not take too much damage then i'll use my clash straight away and i'm guaranteed to win um so it's yeah it's i don't necessarily think it's um a game-changing mechanic i i appreciate that they're trying something new with it you know you know what i mean well i mean it's the the case that all the fighting games now whether it's um street fighter with its v trigger or mortal kombat with its uh additional kind of charge bar um i don't i don't remember tekken 7 having anything of that nature or am i 
blanking out now. I can't remember. But it's it's the thing where, you know, fighting games have this extra kind of added element. And I'm fine with that. Um, it's not my go-to. I prefer, like, old-school Tekken where it's just, you know, you fight to the death. Not not death, but you've knocked the other yeah. uh, opponent out. And it's really weird as well. I don't remember if the original Injustice does it. I'm pretty sure Mortal Kombat doesn't. But certainly in the... Um, it, instead of having like two rounds where it's the first to beat the other opponent like if you knock your opponent's health down to zero in the first round your health st- stays where it is it doesn't like recharge back up to the to the top again and it's you know like there's a good What's chance this? in in you know how like say you have oh what? instead of it being rounds in this it's that you have two bars yeah 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 I'm not sure how I feel about that as well. I I also like uh, there's a there's also a certain element of strategy to that because if you uh, I found myself in a lot of fights going well my meter is full and I can use my special move, but the, this guy only has a little bit left on his first bar. So if I wait until his first bar is gone, if I can knock down his first bar, then I can immediately get him nearly halfway down on his second yeah, bar. Yeah, that, that just, was if, certainly if I save weird. that burn. Yeah. So I think like a lot of the moves they try to make in this are both to kind of give less experienced fighting game players uh, a bit of a hand uh, if they're the underdog, which I appreciate as someone who isn't uh, that much of an expert on fighting games. Um, and I think as well, yeah, to try and be the thinking man's fighting game, which I don't, like we've both said here, like I don't necessarily think they stick the landing on it, but I appreciate that they're trying something a little bit different. Sure, um, I have no issues with them trying some stuff. I, I don't think it all entirely hits, but like, I mean, they're, they're four games into this game engine now, um, so I'm, I'm not going to complain too much that they've gone for something different. Um, I'm curious to see, like, when Evo comes along to see how players adapt to these mechanics. Um, mm. And also, just as a, a bit of an aside, the state of some of these fucking C-tier DC characters. Like, I'm not much of a, a comic book person, and we've established this. But yeah. for fuck's sake. Actual conversation myself and Mark had. Mark turns to me and said, who the fuck is Blue Beetle? I pause and says, said, you don't care. <laughs> Because it was well, one I did of those where he is Mega Man, lot, essentially. Yeah, a lot of these B and C tier uh, villains and heroes in DC would require such a convoluted backstory that I could come down with a PowerPoint presenta- presentation about them, and you won't care enough to even remember it. So yeah, and I like, kind of Marvel is is guilty of this as well. So I'm not, yeah. you know, uh, excluding them from them. Um, but I mean, like just, I mean, even within the X Men alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, there, like... There's one of the the new. Um, I think it's in Ultimate X Men. There's one kind of teenage uh, X Man in training who his his entire skill is that he can uh, make gold balls pop out of him. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's uh, the kind uh, of level you're dealing with. Sometimes. We'd had the conversation before. Like we're both in agreement. You know, the Joker is one of the greatest comic book villains of all time, but. Uh, if not the greatest, if not the greatest, and there's a couple of great other Batman villains, but like the 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 scale downwards, uh, yeah. it's pretty fucking severe afterwards with the same Manhattan with, same, and Man Bat. Yeah, same with like Superman, because Superman has Lex Luthor and has Dark Side and a couple of others like that, and then it starts dropping off into like Mix, Mister Mixelplick from the Fifth Dimension and. <laughs> All sorts of mad shit. Or you, you were particularly dismayed by the existence of Gorilla Grodd. Uh, yeah, um, I just, I don't know. Um, yeah. Look, you, you work with what you've got, so fair play to, to Neverrealm. 
that's injustice too you've also been playing uh we'll get, we'll get a couple of minutes here because you haven't finished it yet so we'll give your kind of your 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 big impressions once you've started finishing this game but uh just give us a brief susan of your time with near automata i i mean you say you barely like started or finished i haven't even scratched the fucking surface with this game by yeah. what i feel this game is gonna offer up uh yeah i've, I've put about 10 hours into it so far and um I kind of kept as far away from it as possible, even with the time it's been out now for a good few months, because I wanted to go into this with you know as much of a a, a kind of fresh viewing as possible. And there are aspects of it that I was not expecting. So I played the demo beforehand, um, which definitely doesn't give you the full kind of idea of what you're getting yourself into, because the demo is is literally like the the, the prequel or the the kind of the, the opening sequence to the game um and it kind of it offers itself up as just a, a hack and slash type game and i love bayonetta love the mc devil mccry so i was like okay yeah hack and slash kind of game awesome that works for me uh i wasn't prepared for the um open worldness that neo automata offers uh, and i wasn't prepared for the uh the fusion of rpg elements and uh quest fetches that the game uh, offers up and um you know me dave rpg quest fetching not my kind of go-to so i'm i'm kind of having to battle with that i will say this and you know th- this opinion is probably going to change 10 times as i go through this game but after 10 hours because uh, i've seen some people say that this is like the the best game of the year one of the, the greatest games of all time for me at the moment, this game is very much a Final Fantasy VI for me, in that I the, the mechanics of it, the actual in-game stuff, I'm not too fussed about. But as a well, uh, a world, uh, as um, this place to explore, for the soundtrack, for the, the characters so far, it's ticking every single box you could possibly imagine for me. It's it's uh, it's a Metal Gear Solid game without the excess and insanity that Kojima is. You know, I mean, it definitely for. has excess and insanity. I, I've watched it's, you play it a little bit. It's still anime as fuck, let's be honest now. Um, but it has very much kind of elements of um, Ghost in the Shell and um, kind of a feel of some of the post-apocalyptic kind of Ghibli films. Um, and it's going into a whole bunch of questions and philosophy and AI and robots and androids and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm I'm enjoying all of that, and I feel that you know, I, again, I'm only kind of scratching the surface. So I'm sure this game is going to bring up a whole bunch of stuff, but it's provided me with some very kind of memorable moments already. Um, it's already turned what I think the game is on its head twice. Um, <laughs> it's kind of creepy in places. It's got oh, just that's that's, that's Yokotaro all over. Yeah, I know, right? But one of the key things, like the soundtrack is is truly like it, it it's kind of grandiose and epic but has a somberness to it as well that really kind of i'm really enjoying like i as soon as this thing is available on vinyl i want to get my hands in it and it does the thing as well where 
the the music is kind of layered so like each of the areas has its own soundtrack and it might start off with as you're on the outskirts it might start might start off with like just a, a, a single piano melody and as you get further into the area it builds up with drums and bass and guitars and then you can kind of tell when you're in the kind of main area because there's this kind of soaring vocal melody that might be uh, like a woman singing in something that kind of sounds like arabic um or it's like a child choir or children's choir and it's it like I tend to if I'm playing games we'll just have a podcast or whatever on in the background but this entire time I've had my headphones on hooked into my controller it is the absolute the, the way to play this game is to just fully let this world kind of suck you in um, but with that said it's a bit of an average hack and slash type game at the moment and the camera tends to throw a fit when you have to deal with more than two enemies and it doesn't invite itself to be a game where you can kind of like do crowd control and take some enemies off to the side and deal with them it it doesn't have that about it in a way that bayonetta does um we'll see if weapons kind of come available that allow me to do that but at the moment if there's more than two enemies on the screen i stand to the side and just fire with my gun um because just the, the actual like melee attacks doesn't have anything about it that kind of works to like trying to do because it has like a witch time mechanic so you know um when a robot glares up with a kind of red flash in its eyes, you know you know it's going to attack you. So you press R two and you'll do like a witch time parry. Um, but there's no kind of follow up attack. Again, there might be a, a mechanic that gets introduced that allows me to do damage with that. Um, but as soon as there's like five or six enemies on the screen, I'm constantly hammering R two, but I can't actually get an attack in. So I just stand to the side and, and fire in. Um, so that's a bit of a shame. We'll see where it goes. But like story-wise and and atmosphere and all those kind of tangible words, like it is nailing all of that uh, in a way that I do appreciate a lot, and it's keeping me wanting to play the game in spite of uh, kind of an average hack and slash style type of game. And again, the the, the camera just uh, like it's been what. 20, 20 years now since Mario 64. Can we sort this fucking camera out already? 21. Like, 21 years. Because also what it does as well is at times it goes into like tank control camera mode where uh, because it, it, it is a 3D game but it has kind of pseudo 2.5D moments as well uh, in a yeah. kind of pandemonium-esque way for anyone that remembers pandemonium on the original PS1. And like so the camera will fix itself to position to say, hey, this is 2.5D now. Um, so you're like, okay, cool, this is grand. At some points as well, it'll go into 3D, but it is in a fixed camera mode. So you're kind of walking along until you realize, hey, I'm just walking into the camera now, but you actually now can move the camera of your own free will, but the game hasn't told you you can do that yet. So it has some issues, but it, it's, I don't know, it's, uh, yeah. I'm sticking with it. I'm definitely, definitely sticking with it. Uh, it's it's an experience, and I get the feeling, just because of, you know, who the developer is and what this game looks like, it looks like it's going to get fucking mental. Uh, and also because Chaz keeps telling me i got to stick with it, so. Okay. Well, let's move on to the news. News on the mark! In our first news story this week, I just want to add a bit of a postscript to a big story we talked about last week. Mark, I don't think we necessarily need to get into the nuts and bolts of it again and rehash that. Um, This is the Alex Maurer DMCA copyright strike uh, controversy. 
Uh, we talked about this at length, I think, for nearly half an hour <laughs> last week on the show with Sam and Peter. So go check that out if you want to kind of keep up. Uh, Jimquisition has done a video on this whole thing, and Sid Alpha has been doing some some great work over on the YouTubes all week, keeping people updated on it. But uh, just to kind of keep uh, everyone posted on what's happening, uh, it seems that towards the end of last week, uh, there was kind of word got out that, that Alex Maurer was getting the help she needed, that she'd been placed on involuntary psychiatric hold by her family because they were genuinely concerned for her health and well-being and the safety of people she had leveled death threats against that we had kind of mentioned towards the end of the story last week. Uh, as of time of recording, she has been released from that hold because I think the state she is in, I don't want to name it on the air, um, the state she is in, I think it's only a 72-hour psychiatric hold is the maximum you can be held on involuntarily. Um, so she's out and immediately began to level a second wave of death threats and DMCA <laughs> takedown strikes. I wasn't aware of that. Jesus. In- Including continuing to try and uh, threaten uh, Turner Broadcasting with cease and desist letters and and, and things like that. It's um, a really, really troubling affair altogether. And I genuinely hope that like she snaps out of it or does get the help she needs or something like that. But... Um, yeah um uh, the more time goes on the more people like there's a guy on youtube i don't know if you've ever watched any of his stuff mark uh, called leonard french uh he is a he he's kind of popularly known as the video game attorney um he's a guy who plays video games and he is himself a copyright attorney and has been thoroughly he looking. fucking stays busy he has been thoroughly looking into this case since last week and sees no legal leg for Alex Mara to stand on even before she started no, admitting we, why she was even, doing the. We're already even fully aware of this and we're no experts in the field. It, you can see yeah. from a mile away she, the, she hasn't got a chance of this one and it's just, it's very sad to see. Yeah, and the fact that she's openly admit, admitting to threatening people in order to leverage public pressure against the studio really, even if she had a leg to stand on, has kicked it out from underneath herself there. Um, because she's essentially admitting to extortion slash blackmail. Um, yeah, it's a really troubling situation. If you want to do more detail on it, like I said, listen to the podcast last week with Peter and yeah, Sam. We spent I think we went 20 into, minutes on it. Also. Yeah, I think we went yeah. into some good detail there, got really nitty gritty on it. And like I said, the likes of uh, Jim Sterling, Sid Alpha, even Total Biscuit have been doing videos on it over the last week that have been helping keeping me abreast of things instead of having to read uh, big, long articles about it because there were also those in spades. Yeah, and I think everyone's pretty much of the same assessment that it's a very sad situation, but also fuck YouTube. Yeah. Uh, also, as well, people, like, for fuck's sake, stop threatening people. Like, I know Alex Maurer is completely in the wrong on this. I don't think anybody except for Alex Maurer herself will argue that. Yeah. Um, but the fact that even after the people who are covering this, like I said, Sid Alpha, Jim Sterling, Total Biscuit, have all denounced anybody who might have watched their videos and then gone on to, to threaten her to some awful, awful... Um, like abuse both in terms of like threats of violence and kind of transphobic abuse going in Alex Mara's direction at the moment and of I, course. What an awful I, I really, reactionary world we live in. 
Yeah, I really can't. In there, there are there aren't terms strong enough uh, available in the English language with which I can condemn this appropriately. So <laughs> people just fucking get a grip, like yeah, yeah. you know, the, the the legal system is going to see to this. The people who are deserving of anger and still not threatening, but in in terms of like the the righteous kind of anger where you're just complaining about the system and not being a fucking tool about it, are YouTube. Speaking uh, of people that need to get a grip. Indeed, Notch has been off on one again. It's almost like completely isolated people sitting on a giant mountain of money start to have like what can only be described as an ingrown toenail of the mind. Do you remember when I think we used to have a a counter of or a a limit of three uses of the term cunt on this show? And I feel we haven't brought it back for we haven't haven't used it in a while. Well, I'm bringing that back. Um, Notch, what in the fuck is your problem? Like, we have been. Over the last, this guy. By the way, I, I love one of the before you launch into it. One of the uh, <laughs> the intros to an article on this I read was Notch. You remember the guy who designed your child's favorite game? Well, see, look what he's been at. I like so, so Notch has been um, over the last I don't know year or two sending out tweets sporadically. That... Yeah, pretty much since the since uh, Microsoft acquired Mojang, and he is just like. He has basically retired from making games and just sits on his $4.2 billion or whatever it was. Yeah, uh, and so he's been getting into fights and arguments. Well, I don't say even fights and arguments. He's just being a bit of a prick on uh, Twitter. Uh, so he tweeted out something to the effect of, because it was uh, uh, Gay Pride, um, and he said anyone that um, denounces the, the concept of a heterosexual pride uh, deserves to be shot. Um not verbatim, but more or less along those lines. Clearly not understanding why the concept of a heterosexual pride is utterly redundant because the whole point of gay pride is for people who've ever... Basically, if you are heterosexual, at any point in your life, honestly, have you ever felt uh, that you have been um, oppressed or in any way felt to be less than a you know less than human um, because of your sexuality the answer is no uh, pretty much anyone and you know I'm not a gay person so I can't speak for them but I would like to think law of average <laughs> for a second there they were saying I'm not a gay person I'd like to be no <laughs> but I'd like it's to think good, that, it's good to have goals but, but yeah I know the law of averages is that if you are uh, of any kind of sexuality other than straight at some point in your life you have had some sort of negativity thrown your way uh, just because the, your, your sexuality is different to that of, of a heterosexual person uh, and that is kind of in a nutshell what gay pride is to, to celebrate that you are different um, but you're not different. You're just the same as anyone else. Just your sexuality is is not the same as mine. Um, and you know, there's these people on Twitter, and you know, we know who they are, who are like, oh, well, we should have a heterosexual pride. Completely misunderstanding what the fucking point of gay pride is. Um, and so, you know, Notch put this tweet out there, which um, gets all of the the people that are in that hive mind, collective hive mind all riled up um but the simple fact is is this is a man who created minecraft um and you know i you we could be going into a a, a think of the children type spiel here but it goes without saying that if you have a fucking six-year-old child who loves minecraft and why not because minecraft is great um and for whatever reason they go onto the internet and like who made uh, minecraft oh notch oh here's all the things that he said uh it's just it's just 
absolutely fucking unacceptable. And I've seen some developers who are like, you know, I, I know Notch, uh, and even I'm like, I can't, I can't be seen to have any kind of interaction with him after this. Like, no one in their right mind should even think about wanting to work with him in on in any kind of level at all. Um, and I certainly wouldn't expect Microsoft to do anything because they don't have to do anything. Like, the game is theirs. They have, as far as I'm aware, no relationship with Notch at this point. So, you know, I I wouldn't expect them to come out and say, we condone blah, 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 because mm. they're as, as detached as you can be um, at this point. It's just, it just, and you know, he's giving the fedora a bad name. And, <laughs> you know. Well, I mean. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just what a fucking shit show. What a clown. Yeah, I mean, you, you it, have more money than God. Just go and fucking make your little silly projects. Which, a, lot, a, you know. a lot of it rings to me because every couple of months he seems to do it, and it's almost like you could time your watch to it. And a lot of it feels like he's doing it as if to go, "Hey guys, remember me?" Yeah, yeah, maybe. You know, now that he isn't the guy in charge of Minecraft anymore, so people don't really care what he's doing. He's got to try and like lash out for attention in the boldest way possible. And even if he does believe these things. I, I would say that the deliberate decision to not only post them, but post them in such, uh, shall we say, callous and extreme terms. Like, you know what I mean? He could have just, you know, if he believes in this stupid heterosexual pride day, he could have just posted a hashtag or something like that. But he have to go to the extremes of saying that people should be shot if they don't believe there should be one, which just is is classic kind of troll 101 sort of stuff yeah, to me he's no better than a fucking 15 year old on 4chan you know that's yeah. that's the level we're dealing with and this is a man who's clearly very intelligent because hey he made minecraft and it's yeah. just it's the age-old thing of you know there are people that are intelligent but just have no fucking common sense whatsoever and mm. you know you can't shine more of a spotlight on someone that fits that uh description so just just an absolute shit show mark the Bandicoot is back. Yeah, he is. Are you hyped? Because I'm hyped. Uh, so I, I do like the original Crash trilogy, and there was actually one of the Crash games on the Game Boy Advance that was pretty good as well. Uh, and then I, you know, immediately fell out of favour as, as much as everyone else did. Uh, what I'm enjoying more than anything else is everyone going, oh my god, the original Crash is fucking impossible, which, yeah, yeah people, people have forgotten. That that last people are, island. People are comparing it to Dark Souls. Uh, no, that that last island on Crash is uh, is pretty brutal towards the end. Um, so this story comes from now. It, it was a uh, the, the remake, the Crash Bandicoot Insane trilogy, was one that you were a bit trepidatious about at first from the original trailer. If yeah, I some of the the gameplay footage it looked a bit. I don't know, a little bit too. I don't know. Like we we've seen over the past ten years or so with these kind of HD remakes that with some of the older games. Uh, like yeah. I I didn't care much for the Ducktales remake, or there was the Bionic yeah. Commando. I didn't I didn't think fared up too well. And Sonic Four is like not technically yeah. a HD remake, but now, you, you know you 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 were a fan, however, of the the Ratchet and Clank remake. Um, yeah. where they kind of remade the first movie the the movie's interpretation of the first game sort of uh you were a big fan of that uh, and this is a kind of similar in as much as uh, rather than like a hd kind of spit shine they have actually they apparently i was uh listening to the the video gamer uk podcast today as i was on the way to recording and they were talking about how in interviews the the guys making this game said they had no code from the old games to work with for the most part that it was pretty much just re building this entire trilogy from scratch oh wow uh, jesus okay four fair, PlayStation, fair play to that 
PlayStation 4 and um, the critical reception has been pretty good so far, Mark. I don't Mm -hmm. know how much of it you've seen, but people who I kind of trust are saying, yeah, this feels like old Crash, but it looks 2017 uh, in terms of its kind of graphical fidelity and things like that. Um, The the reason I... I Sorry, sorry, Carol. I was going to say, I I will uh, probably pick pick it up at some point. Is it like I like the three crash games? I remember one of my uh, crowning achievements as a as a, as a young gamer was getting one hundred five percent on Crash Three, uh, and it mm. looks like as well they've added uh, the the time trial mode to uh-huh. online leaderboards. Uh, yeah, so that I never thought I'd be looking at they would be playing fucking trials through Crash Bandicoot, but here we uh-huh. are. Um, so the reason I put this in here is because Crash Bandicoot the Insane Trilogy has launched in the UK to incredible sales. Launched exclusively for PlayStation 4, this report coming from Eurogamer, it is, get ready for this, the biggest single platform release so far, beating even Horizon Zero Dawn. That is Which is incredible. Yep. So, like, you would say, right, so it beats things like... Um, Zelda, but you would say, right, that's a launch game for a console. It doesn't have the install base yeah. that PlayStation does. But in fairness, for a game that is kind of like it's a remake of a very old game, it's still quite impressive because Zelda has sold quite well. In fact, for quite some time, Zelda had sold more copies than there were Switches, which is incredible. Uh-huh. Um, but it is it has made it the second biggest launch overall this year. The only one ahead of it is behind the bizarrely well-selling Ghost Recon Wildlands, which is still the biggest-selling game of 2017. Yeah, that, that one is more surprising to me, but you know that's way out of the spectrum of anything I'm I'm interested in. Mm. Um, hey, nostalgia strong, and I fully expect yeah. that Spyro trilogy at some point. Indeed, uh, it's an incredible result for the trilogy remake, this article goes on to say. And uh, for fact fans, it's the first time in Crash's history the character has ever won a UK number one sales position. Um, yeah, i got to look at that, Mark. And like you said, retro sells. I think uh, PlayStation will not be encouraged to pursue this idea of the Spyro trilogy. But uh, I'm looking at that and going, I think we need to talk about making a new Crash game. Um, if I'm them, I don't necessarily want it myself. But I don't know. I don't you, know. You've, you've got to, you've got to look at those sales numbers if you're them and be at least exploring ideas. See you now, know? There, there is a difference between nostalgia and a, an entirely new uh, new game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Added mechanics and whatnot because that was part of yeah, what yeah. the issue with Crash ended up being was adding nuts and bolts on the side, and it's the issue with the the. 3D Sonic. Well, uh, there's <laughs> there's a, a myriad of issues with the 3D yeah. Sonic games. Um, I don't know. I don't know where they, they go from here next. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, we've Crash got team, we've, re- Crash Team Racing HD, maybe. I mean, I'm more inclined or more interested in a Diddy Kong Racing HD remake. Oh. Uh, but hey, we have that Bubsy remake to look forward to. So we'll see if that offers anything. Probably Mark. not. Uh, Mark, in the next news story, you'll be shocked to learn that the UK have absolutely fucked it. Uh, <laughs> League of Legends uh, recently has experienced a game an in-game currency price hike of up to 20%, and when asked for comment on this, Riot Games says it was because of Brexit. Now, Mark, Fucking as hell. the representative of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland on this podcast, you have to answer for these crimes. I am having no fucking say in this whatsoever. <laughs> right, I voted Remain... Uh, it's on the head of the 52. Uh, your man who came up with the fucking Brexit campaign himself has even said that, oh yeah, that 350 million on the side of the bus tag, yeah, that was bollocks. Uh, uh, look, I'm not 
gonna get myself angry about this. Um, the, the the more you, also it's uh, League of Legends. Fuck League of Legends. Ooh, controversial. Um, Look, the, I went to China for six months. I can fucking say it. All right, it's all they the played mo- there. The more you Do read you like into LOL? this, <laughs> the the more you read into this story, though, the more it becomes sense. Uh, it or it makes sense, should I say, that a dig was taken at Brexit because the uh, the the head office for the part of Riot Games from which this PR uh, person made this quote is Dublin. So it's yeah. uh, the, the Irish having a pop at Brexit. Yeah, yeah, like, I. I... Yeah, you just uh, remind me, yeah, the the Riot lot, they are based in Dublin. And, I mean, you know, we've seen as well um, uh, the kind of news about, like, banks and businesses all looking at coming over to Dublin. And, yeah, look, we can use it as a a small uh, element of the bigger picture that is uh, the UK have fucked it royally. And I'm sure, Mm -hmm. no doubt, over the next year to two years, we'll... uh, we'll see more damning evidence that that is in fact the case so thanks for bringing that up dave really appreciate that <laughs> anytime buddy this is your link to the cast brexit update uh <laughs> turns out japan love the nintendo switch my friend and more specifically N- nintendo's games in general um nintendo has dominated Japan's top telling top 10 selling games of 2017 so far i'll read you down the list so in Japan, these are the top 10 selling games of 2017 for the whole first six months, dated January to June 2017. Monster Hunter XX for the 3DS, Pokemon Sun and Moon, Mario Kart 8, Breath of the Wild, Super Mario Maker, Biohazard 7, Nier Automata, uh, Momotaro D- Dentetsu 2017, Yokai Watch, and 1-2 Switch. So that is a distinctly uh, Nintendo-favoring list right there. Um, As well as that, I think the more remarkable uh, bit of info from this story, Mark, is that uh, the top five selling consoles for the first six months of 2017 has Nintendo Switch on top, in spite of the other four consoles on this list, Sony PS4, Nintendo DS, Sony PS Vita, and Microsoft Xbox One, all had a three-month head start on them in sales, considering this console didn't come out until March. Nintendo, they're bodying everyone. They really are. Uh, I really, I, I, I don't know about you, but there's something that feels good about Nintendo as the comeback kid that they're actually doing well. It kind of warms the heart as a Nintendo kid growing up, doesn't it? Um, kinda. Although, like, this is the thing, right? So, Nintendo over the years they've had their their peaks and valleys, and you know, you go from the snares, and then there was a a slow um decline from the n64 to the gamecube and then you know the wii sold umpteen millions and yeah it's just just nintendo you know you can never you can never bet against nintendo that is the golden rule when it comes to the industry that is video games never bet against nintendo uh because they can turn it around uh as they have shown and it's 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 great because i mean i still don't have my switch yet but you know everything i've read uh, the the brief amount of time i've played with it uh, it's it's a wonderful piece of hardware, and it has the games to back it up, and we still have Mario Odyssey to go. Yeah. Um, Adi Shankar, who you might know as the, the creative lead on the rather promising-looking uh, Castlevania anime that's coming to Netflix Jesus, this that's week. that's a thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's coming this week, the 7th of July. Week? What? Yeah. My word. 7th of July. He has announced his next project. In an unusual turn, he has gone from making a Castlevania anime to making an Assassin's Creed anime. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> was it was it last week? Was it with you? I might, it might have been the show with Oliver where we were just kind of saying, look, all right, Assassin's Creed lore. I put that on about the same kind of level as fucking Sonic. Uh, it must have been with Oliver, but I would yeah. concur. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, as you know, I am this podcast's resident Sonic lore expert, having mm-hmm. been a, a subscriber to Sonic the comic in my youth. And I yeah. can tell you that the lore of Sonic is a lot more fascinating than Assassin's Creed. Yeah. I don't want to hear shit all about Abstergo, <laughs> but if you want to tell me about the Chaos Emeralds, I'm here. I'm here for you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like not only making an Assassin's Creed cartoon, right? That's one thing. But then going like, is Assassin's Creed really, really the game that lends itself to an anime? Um, maybe not so much. Uh, maybe like one of the more, um, if they go for the, the, the more kind of realistic, I say realistic, but more kind of human side of anime stuff like, um, uh, one with the big, big giants. Fuck, what's that called again? Uh, Attack, Attack on Titan, or something like that. Maybe uh, you know, as long as they don't go fucking One Piece or something, maybe they can do something with it. But again, I just I don't think the actual uh law there to begin with is has much substance to it. Um, and you know that whole fucking franchise in terms of store law takes itself far too fucking seriously. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not on board with that as a choice. You know, if you look at the, the, the broad spectrum of games and stories that you can kind of pick apart and do stuff with, I, I wouldn't have Assassin's Creed anywhere near a, a top 20 uh, list of, of games to pick from. More Zelda news coming up here. Uh, so this DLC drop that we talked about towards the top of the show, um, one of the things it adds is what's called master mode uh, which i thought was worthy of including in this and because one of the things that people have sort of praised zelda for and some people are sort of cursing zelda for this year is that breath of the wild is fucking bastard hard (laughs) i think i think we we even talked about it on the show uh last week with with sam and peter and that was the idea that if you take a wrong turn right out of the starting area of that game, you could be in a world of hurt really, really quickly in that game. Um, <laughs> and master mode is sort of like, oh, you think that was difficult sort of mode where they've just amped it up to 10. And I read this story in Eurogamer and I actually snort laughed uh, <laughs> on my own. And I'm not proud of that, but... If you listen to this, so if you want to think about how fucking hard this game is already for those of you who are listening to this who have played it, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild's new master mode is serious business. How serious, you ask? Well, it takes what was the game's most challenging enemy in the world, and quite possibly in general, which is the White Lionel, which is this kind of half-horse, half-lion thing that is, uh, in terms of aggression, is like a pinky demon from Doom on steroids. Cool. Um, awesome. in and, terms of and let's be fair the pinkies lift all right you can see that yeah. so if you walk past a lionel it is completely docile mark okay but as soon as you draw a weapon not even hit it if you draw a weapon within its kind of cone of vision shall we say it freaks the fuck out oh, it's kind of like the weeping angels from doctor who but pretty much yeah. except it doesn't matter whether you're looking at it or not oh, okay it just it will. It's coming for you, um, nonstop. Once it starts to engage, cool. and it will take pretty much. I think like 
eight hearts or so off you in one shot with a direct hit. And is it like um, a, a bullet sponge or the equivalent with swords? Pretty much, yeah. Cool. So there's like, you can is use there a combination. a reward for killing it? You get super durable items and some very valuable gems and stuff usually okay, when so you there, beat there one. Is, there is an incentive for trying to take yeah, one down. Yeah, yeah. And there's, right. there's only a handful of them around the game and some of them are protecting like chests or there's, I think there's only one that you have to engage with in the course of the critical path, but you don't even have to defeat him. You just have to not die while you're doing the thing you have to do around him. <laughs> See, that's which the is... kind of, that, that that gives the description of how hard it is. It's like, you, you don't need to kill it. You just need to survive. Yeah, and that is easier said than done, my friend. Cool. Uh, like, I, I'm at the point now where I'm only moderately confident in taking them on sometimes. I've figured out a trick that, like, kind of works a little bit but it still requires a fair bit of luck and me not to fuck up at all and it still takes a few minutes awesome uh but anyway it has taken the white lionel because also their their level of shall we say hardiness is you can tell by their kind of gradiated in color like a lot of the the kind of the moblins are in the game um and the silver version of an enemy is usually the toughest in that game and the white lionel is the toughest version of the lionel and master mode has gone and put the white lionel in the starting area of the game yep yep i'm <laughs> sure right in the middle of the great plateau you might at this point have just a rusty sword Cool. There is when you're on the great plateau there is very little chance of you having anything resembling a durable weapon you almost certainly won't be uh upskilled enough to use any of the tricks i have used to defeat it um and uh, also the white lionels are equipped with bomb arrows by default is this a um, kind of hold my beer moment in regards to dark souls i think this is they saw how quickly that one guy was like 47 minutes or something managed to beat the standard mode like went straight to ganon and just threw a lionel in his path (laughs) and just went try this on for size fucker but yeah i I thought that was a really really funny story just to include because like this game is already fucking hard enough and you're throwing a lionel in at the very start of the game you absolute monsters um the next part, the next news story, shall I say, is something that got people very, very excited. Uh, Platinum Games tweeted out an image uh, showing one Bayonetta with uh, red and blue guns in an image that Mark, some might say, would be reminiscent of certain Joy-Cons for a certain Nintendo Switch. Um, and Platinum this year, uh, over the last year or so, have uh, made several kind of cryptic tweets or posts kind of like this that have always led to something, whether it be the um, them releasing some games on PC, things like that. Um, are you excited about this, considering your impending purchase of a Switch? Yeah, like, it, uh, I mean, they've said that they're, they're mulling over the idea of doing a Bayonetta 3. Um and I think that they might be in more of a position that that could be like a multi-platform kind of thing. Um, if it, even if it's just hey, look, Bayonetta one and two, we had it in Wii U. We're gonna now put it on the Switch. Like that, that's yeah. fine with me as well. But um, it made perfect sense considering Nintendo helped bring that game into existence financially. Yeah, and I, I think it just comes down to like every game now that was on the Wii U that's now not been released on the Switch. The same thing you can look at each time is like, well, we might as well just put it on the fucking Switch because there are more people playing the Switch now. So we might, you know, get a bunch of people that played it before to buy it again with slightly 
up-res graphics or whatever, but we have this whole market of players that didn't have a Wii U, and, you know, Mario Kart 8 is the, the, the perfect example of that. So I, I can't see a reason other than purely financial, logistical reason for just saying, you know, fuck it, put it on the Switch. Hmm. Uh, Mark, please tell me about one Rayman. Oh, yeah, it's just a little piece. Uh, basically, there's um, a prototype of the kind of original Rayman back on the, the PlayStation 1 and the uh, Sega Saturn. Uh, you ever played the original Rayman? Uh, I It's one of those things where, I, I looking at it, I think I have, but I can't give you any concrete memories of having done so. Okay, well, uh, as the platforming prodigy here at Link to the Cast, I can tell you it is a wonderful platforming game. Uh, that also, like original Crash, is fucking brutal. Uh, certainly if you play it through 2017 eyes. Um, yeah, and basically there, there's a prototype that's knocking around that shows like the original demo or the original version that was going to be on the Super Nintendo before it was kind of cancelled to put onto the PS1 and the Sega Saturn. And it's available to, to play. Um, it's very kind of rudimentary. Uh, but if you have a, a SNES emulator, you can go and have a look at it. So I think that's just a, just a cool little thing that, that that's out there. Um, and, you know, uh, I wonder how many more. Because I feel like there was that period in the, in the 90s where uh, you had that kind of arms race from 16-bit to 32-bit to 64-bit where there were a couple of games where it was like it was kind of late in the cycle, then held back. It's like, okay, well, we'll put it on the next console or we'll just kind of cancel it. Star Fox 2 obviously being the, the famous example that is now coming out on the, the Mini SNES Classic. So, yeah, just, just a, a cool little piece that I saw. Mm. Uh, Fumito Ueda, who is the, the, the mind behind Team Eco, uh, responsible for uh, Ico, Shadow of the Colossus, and Last Guardian, has an, has said that he has submitted a proposal for the changes he would like to see in the remake of Shadow of the Colossus for PS4. This news story I've included, Mark, because it's, it's a couple of interesting details in here. So, speaking to uh, Eurogamer through a translator, he, he said a couple of interesting things here, Mark. The first being... Uh, because he has, as the article says, submitted proposal for changes, uh, that would suggest to me that Ueda and Team Eco as a whole really have nothing to do with this whole uh, remake process. We know it's, I think it's Blue Point Studios, is it, that's uh, doing this uh, remake? Uh, yeah, Blue Point. So it must be kind of a just a hands-off. They're just going to mechanically rebuild it from the ground up and don't really need any creative input into it. Um, another one of the things that people have kind of said since it was unveiled is like, will this remake include... We, we know from kind of things that were said at the time that there were a bunch of different uh, bosses cut from the original Shadow of the Colossus and would they be coming back in? Uh, Fumeda Ueda has firmly ruled that stuff out. And then finally... In this interview, I thought it was interesting that he has kind of said that he's working on something new, but kind of a once-bitten, twice-shy sort of situation because of how long The Last Guardian took. He's not saying anything about this game so far. Uh, your thoughts on this kind of this interview he had? Uh, I, I This is the first I've heard about it, to be honest. Um, so, I don't know, like, I'm going to wait until there's, there's more out about this uh, remake, whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, I haven't actually paid a whole lot of attention. Um, 
like until we kind of proper see some proper gameplay footage and see what we're dealing with here um yeah just i'm kind of hands off at the moment uh, a game snuck its way it seems onto the playstation network recently uh under the name five star 1000 top rated its entire advertising platform was that it was the easiest ps4 platinum trophy available and claimed the feat could be done in just 20 minutes the game consisted of a series of interactive tile tile puzzles users could easily breeze through on top of that the game cost just 98 cents us um it's what kind of is going hilarious. on what is going on with the fucking playstation store this is hilarious right because so we we've covered this that kind of there's more um weird rough around the edges to say the least trashy sort of games getting say, onto that psn that had been so tightly curated for a long time weird is a word um, you could use with a positive connotation weird yeah, just yeah. talking the the dregs of uh shoddy poor lazy Very shades, shades of steam green light kind of stuff here entirely of steam green light yeah um and one of the one of the funny things about this story to me mark is that the additional layer is like, so whatever about them kind of letting games that are not nearly up to scratch getting on the psn but one thing that had always been uh, a stamp of quality for the people that are kind of interested in it is that um playstation has always closely guarded the distribution of trophies in its game so if you bring out a game on a playstation platform um you will not automatically get a platinum awarded to your game for people who completed 100 percent. not all games have platinums um they don't want it to be that easy for the trophy hunters because you know it's kind of a thing that you if it's that easy to get a whole bunch of platinums it kind of dilutes the process and makes people less interested a lot of people kind of fell off the whole achievements and gamer score things on xbox because a lot of people figured out there is a way to hack your gamer score and get a bunch of uh achievements that way without actually having done anything um yeah this is this is a whole mess isn't it yeah, I, I just, I don't know what is going on, whether um, they've, whoever they had in quality control, they've just gone, yep, we either don't need you or we need you over here. And, you know, obviously we have no idea what the internal workings of Sony is like when it comes to quality control, whatever else. Um, now, you would imagine that it's a lot more difficult for Steam to create that because I imagine the, the number of submissions that they have is is tenfold over what sony is getting <laughs> yeah I, I think we could be we could be here for a whole other hour and a half two hours if we started talking about the problems with steam's curation yeah. or lack thereof um i have no idea i don't know whether sony just gone fuck it just let them because uh, th- this problem it has existed even as far back as like the early days of the xbox live indie arcade which you know in fairness to it they kind of shoved in the the, the darkest of corners of that uh, dashboard when you go in to try and look for games you know and i've played some of the things that were available that are just the worst you know because again you say weird like 13 is a weird game but it has quality control this is the key thing mm-hmm. here we're talking about games that have no quality control whatsoever and don't should be anywhere near available to be a game that you can purchase you know you can find random half-baked ideas on itch.io which is fine if you're not paying for them or fucking new grounds if we want to go you know that far back uh i i have no idea because what was it was it life of the life of tiger was that the game um, yeah something like that that looked like a half-finished ps2 game yeah i that was uh, i could enjoy that from the perspective of 
being you know a joke but this is like no this is someone who has clearly decided hey i got an idea on how to make a quick buck i'll make this game that you can get platinum trophies for in 20 minutes and like that that's now pushing the limits of I, not that the the life of tiger game is acceptable but this is now like no this is someone trying to really use this for financial gain uh, at the expense of you know quality games uh which for a period of time sony were absolutely on top of so uh some questions really need to be asked so it's been taken down since uh i, I believe it has been taken down if i'm correct yeah it has yeah, yeah. yeah. uh but you know i mean there are people out there that will point these things out obviously jim sterling is one of those kinds of people that, that will pick apart anything that is utter trash uh so you know uh, if Sony aren't going to do the job, I guess the the community at large will have to do it. Indeed. Um, <laughs> finally, Mark, and I can't believe it, I have to say this again. Join me, won't you, in Konami Corner. Hark the Herald Angels sing, Konami can't do a fucking thing. Hey, Mark, I've got some good news. Silent Hill is in the news again. Is it a pachinko? Oh, no, it's not pachinko. <laughs> so, so I was loading this up um, just now. And I was half joking about the pachinko scene. As soon as I saw the words <laughs> pyramid head, I reminded myself because I saw this last week. And I, I got to be honest, I popped for it. I'm well on board with this. <laughs> the biggest Silent Hill news since the. This is the best. This is the best fucking use of pyramid head since Silent Hill Two, and you can't argue with me on that. So Pyramid Head is going to be in Super Bomberman R on Switch. Hell yeah! I paid 60 quid for that. Well, lucky for you that it isn't actually 60 quid. Like, like I'm looking I'm, I'm looking at the quote-unquote Pyramid Head bomber here. And, like, it looks cool in one respect. There's also a Vic Viper one from Gradius and a Belmont bomber from Castlevania. The, bomber, the Belmont one looks really fucking cool. I feel like we have lost... You know, some of the meaning... Behind... I've lost my fucking mind is well, what I've lost. <laughs> so have Konami, it would seem. Um, I think it would be fair to say that, that some of the meaning of, of Pyramid Head has been lost in the years uh-huh. since Silent Hill 2. Would that be a fair assessment I to think make? it is fair to say that every single subsequent appearance of him in media has been a kind of negative return on investment. i tell you what, I feel that if they're going to do this, they have to go the whole way and now... Pyramid Head has to be, like, a playable character in the next Pez game. You see, that is so far into ridiculous, I might be super on board with that. I'm sorry, but this Pyramid Head being Bomberman is not ridiculous. My whole thing that's hilarious about this story that I wanted to bring up is, like, oh, it's this DLC pack that has legacy Konami characters, (laughs) as if for a single fucking second. (laughs) These fucking bellends. Bellens, I'll say it again. Bellens care for a moment as if there was a momentary <laughs> lapse of reason that made them care about the concept of legacy. A legacy they have tempted to shit in the mouth of the corpse of for a number of years at this point. Uh... Fuck off. What's more disappointing <sighs> is they didn't go the whole way and include James Sunderland as a uh, character in Bomberman as well. I was going to say that they would go the whole way and put Solid Snake in as an absolute fuck you. I mean, or, 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 like, yeah, Solid Snake, and give him voice lines, even though I suspect no one else has voice lines of this, and still don't cast David Hayter to do it. 
Oh man, I I'm sorry, but I like for every piece of Konami Corner news we've ever had, I'm I'm well on board with this one. It's definitely not the most egregious sin, but I love just all of a sudden. Oh, here at Konami, we care about our rich and storied history. Do you fuck? Yeah, you well. big bunch of cunts. <laughs> Okay, so that has. I think we've we've hit all three uh, usages of that word today. So well done, Dave. You've you've finished off the news in a spectacular fashion. Anytime. Do you feel better now? Uh, Do you feel good now? You got that a little bit. I've got that off my chest. That has been weighing on me since I saw it this morning. Um, We are going to move now into a much happier thing. Well, ironically, it's about a very sad and nihilistic game, but we're going to move into our book club for the week. And uh, this week we have a special guest on with us, a friend of the show, Barry Murphy, and he is here to talk with us about a little game called Life is Strange. Life is Strange is an episodic graphic adventure video game developed by Don't Not Entertainment and published by Square Enix. It is available for Linux, Microsoft Windows, OS X, PS3, PS4, Xbox 360, and Xbox One, and consists of five episodes released periodically throughout the year 2015. The game's plot focuses on Max Caulfield, a photography student who discovers that she has the ability to rewind time at any moment, leading her every choice to enact the butterfly effect. After having foreseen an approaching storm, Max must take on the responsibility to prevent it from destroying her town. The player's actions will adjust the narrative as it unfolds and reshape it once allowed uh, to travel back in time. Fetch quests and making environmental changes represent the forms of puzzle solving in addition to using branching choices for conversation. Life is Strange is a game that we talked about on the podcast last week uh, that I had just recently finished and uh, coming on the show uh, to talk about it with me because uh, Mark hasn't really played through this game is a friend of the show, Barry Murphy. Barry, how are you? Not too bad. I'm, I'm good to go. It, it's been a while since I've chatted to anyone about Life is Strange. When it first came out there for a while, I was yelling at a lot of people to play it uh, and, and feverishly getting their thoughts. I'm excited to dip back into it here. Uh, yeah, a few weeks a few weeks out from the next release, as it were. This was a game. I think it was during our game of the year deliberations, Barry, where you you had recommended this game to me very strongly. Um, so this is this is kind of your fault that we're here talking about this now, and that this game is still sitting with me. Yes, yeah, I've inflicted it on many people at this stage. I'm glad you're one of them. Um, um, yeah. Was this a game you played in 2015, like as it was still coming out, or when when did you come to this? Where did you hear of it? I think I gave it a miss originally. I, I kind of just heard it, heard it here, its name here and there um, uh, as the first episode came out. I wasn't hearing anything especially strong about it. I don't know. that It was not a, uh, a shower uh, immediately out of the gate. It was very much a grower. 
Um, I uh, I remember hearing about it and, and, and people just weren't super hot on it. It was more of a kind of a keep your eye on it. You know, maybe episode two will be good. I remember I um, watched a, a Let's Play of the first episode and you know, the people I was watching were pretty tepid on it and I was tepid on it to the level that I actually did not even watch the play episode two, three or whatever. I, I, I just kind of bounced off it. I was like, well, that doesn't seem especially interesting. It just kind of seems like a a high school centric telltale game but kind of less good so i kind of I, I i skipped out on it and i actually i can't remember what it was that made me go back to it i'm actually i actually can't recall i think i do know someone uh, a pal of mine who i you know i trust reasonably well uh played it and loved it and was singing its praises and i was like ah no no i saw that first episode it didn't do much for me uh, he and as most life of strange fans are after they've kind of seen the light kind of like rick and morty that way once the people have seen the light they then don't shut up about how you have to you have to watch it you have to play it uh he 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 pestered me much like i've pestered other people uh and so i bought it i played through episode one i thought it was okay uh i was streaming it that was kind of my motivation i was like well i I just started streaming i was like yeah i'll stream this you know story games are fun to stream and by the conclusion of episode two i was pretty much in i it had really hooked me and then by episode three i was i was way in um, so yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure it had been completely released in the time it took me to roll around on it. Uh, so, so I had, um, I kind of marathoned it, uh, somewhat, um, and, and kind of caught up then on everyone else's hot takes a few months after it had finished. But, uh, yeah, so it was a, it was a slow burn. It, it really wasn't hot out of the gate yeah. for me, but I eventually got there. I think it's fair to say with a lot of these kind of um, episodic model games, uh, the Telltale games, Life is Strange and Hitman as well. But like you said, they're they're not showers. They don't come bang out of the gates, topping NPD charts. But it's sort of a because there's a drip feed of these episodes coming out. It's kind of like a word of mouth thing. Like with with Hitman, it was once people actually started playing um, the Paris mission or what was the second one? Um, Sapienza? Sapienza, particularly, yeah. People started going, everyone needs to play this fucking game. This is really good. With The Walking Dead back in the day, I remember it was in episode two was the one where people went, oh, this is actually a bit special. Um, And the same goes for Life is Strange. Like, is there something about episodic games, do you think, that gives them such a long tail? Is it just that drip feed, or is there something to the way they're kind of, the narrative is structured to them, do you think? I don't know. I, I like the drip feeding. I mean, that was kind of one of the big things when I was telling people about Hitman. Because that, that was a weird game where people really uh, resisted that, that model. A lot of people who, who played previous Hitman games were like, ah, I don't like that. Ah, I'll buy the disc. I'll wait till it's out, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, that's, that's kind of fun. You, you get to really digest um, uh, the maps really thoroughly. And then uh, I liked that every six months there for last year, uh, sorry, every six months, every month for six months last year is what I meant to say. There was a, a, a day where we got a brand new Hitman map and they were so big and deep that you got to, to take them all in. And I think that's true for more story-centric games as well. I mean, obviously, I, I binged Life is Strange, but I've I've done the telltale thing where, where I get in on the ground floor and you play an episode as it comes. Um, and yeah, there, it's like a TV show. You know, it, if it ends, if it grips you the right way and it ends on the right note, then you do have the um, uh, the kind of the building tension and excitement for the next episode. Um, and yeah. I can imagine, I mean, with some of the stingers in Life is Strange, I can imagine they, they almost certainly grab people uh, and hook them for, for the next month's release or whatever it was. I think, yeah, I think as well, just to ch- chime in there, um, like something with Hitman, I think with that, it's, it's a kind of a mechanical thing where the developers are like, oh, right, we have this kind of 
episodic way of doing things. And so, like, they get the Paris map all together, and then, like, once they've done that, they fully are like, oh, right, well, we can do this, we can do that, we can do that. All right, we'll have them in the next episode. Um, I think with a more uh, narrative episodic type game, uh, I think it's more that with anything, even just like a TV show, like, usually the first episode, you're like, oh, yeah, this is cool, but it's a lot of world building, whatever. And then it's the second episode where it's like, okay, we're now fully into this and we're now kind of seeing these characters and really going into more further kind of detail and stuff. So I think that is um, tends to be more of the case with with more like narrative based stuff where, you know, the first episode is just the setup to then really get into what's going on. Yeah, um, the the first episode to talk about that for kind of a second there, Barry. Like I was fairly lukewarm on it as well. It, it was a game that, as I said, as I was streaming it myself, the more I played it, the more I got interested. Because if you just look at the the first episode of that game, the the first few scenes that you you play through in there, there's a lot about it that you kind of would bristle against not like so much like a, a lot of the people a lot of the characters in the game on surface level are the worst kind of human beings yeah um they're just parodies or caricatures of the kind of most pretentious hipstery people in the world and there's a lot of kind of um navel gazing sitting around and being sad sort of stuff that kind of just I don't know, seemed very melodramatic to me at first. That, that if it, I, I think possibly if it wasn't for that kind of the, the stinger at the at the end of the chapter, like with the, the oncoming storm and things like that, there is a very good chance I may never have come back to it after that. I agree, yeah. Um, and I think that stinger was actually kind of... Uh, I mean, it wasn't an amazing stinger. It wasn't like, oh my God, I yeah. have to come back. But it was like, I remember I, I got to that point and I was like... You know, that's all right. We got some stuff going on here. This is worth uh, this is worth at least seeing through for one more episode just to see what they got. Um, so I remember that. But yeah, I mean, the the characters they're all very cliched. Um, uh, I mean, the dialogue is probably the main thing. And, and whenever I recommend it to people, it's like you gotta just you gotta power through that first episode because yeah. it's, it's really easy to to bounce off uh, uh, the game if if you take umbrage with some of the dialogue. I mean, uh, as interesting and, and, and as the characters are, and, and as fascinating as the stories are, when it's all said and done. I mean, early on, you really do get the vibe that, like, this is a game that obviously is not written by teenagers or anyone even really close to teenagers. Um, their heart is in the right place, but they're just, they ain't, they ain't down with the kids, as it were. Um, yeah. and, and it's all very, very kind of stilted, and it feels a little bit out of date, and, and you know, um, it, it, it kind of feels like, I mean, the game in general is very much, you know, games as indie cinema you know that's 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 what it is in general but like the first episode is like bad indie movie game mm. you know what i mean it's like it's it's like you say it's navel gazing it's a little cliched uh you know it's it's set in a kind of a preppy private school you know so it, it, it's easy to not like it but um, i do i mean to be fair to the first episode i do think it shows enough uh promise i mean you have the stinger we yeah. mentioned uh it's not a technical powerhouse in fact it's actually a little bit rough around the edges but the art style is is interesting the music is great i mean straight away in that first episode they have uh, a lot of great uh musical scenes including a great uh, uh sort of montage at the end of the episode which should kind of become their their hallmarks i mean they it was one of those things where you you kind of had to be willing to overlook a lot, but you know, with yeah. with, with games, especially episodic games, uh, your eye for potential matters, and and I certainly did not see it at, at first glance. But um, yeah, the, yeah. The, when you when you look back on it now, you and I having played it and enjoyed it, you look back on that first episode and you can go, yeah, you know, the, the things we like are in there somewhere. They're still they're still part of it. 
Yeah, yeah, it wasn't so much, I, I don't think, like, some of the, the, the better written episodic games, like, uh, The Walking Dead Season 1 is the one that a lot of people go back to as the gold standard for that. A lot of the chapter ends there are real kind of cliffhangers that people were kind of biting their fingernails, waiting till the next month or whenever Telltale felt like dropping the next episode. Uh, whereas in this, I think with the end of the first episode, like, it definitely... The, the drama increases as it goes on, but with the end of the first episode, it wasn't that sort of, I need to play episode two straight away, but more of a kind of, like it baited the hook just enough for me to stay on board. And episode two is where it really starts to um, change for me. And one of my favorite things uh, about the game is this kind of the, the, the MacGuffin of it all with the rewind time mechanic that, that Max has throughout it. And I think they, they use that, what on the face of it is kind of look, yeah, we enjoyed this when it was in Prince of Persia as well, sort of mechanic. Yeah. And they it, they use it to explore a lot of kind of very lofty themes that I wasn't necessarily expecting to deal yeah. with when, when I started the game. Like stuff as kind of basic as the nature of friendship and things like that with Max coming back into Chloe's life and Chloe back into hers. Um, and then even as the game deepens, like things you could kind of extrapolate that it's talking about the nature of free will and how much effect you actually have on the world uh because it seems like no matter what you choose bad stuff is going to happen uh either way um talk to me for a second about how how you felt getting through the game with the the, the kind of the, the relationship between the two main characters max and chloe which i think was something that as i saw them on screen together more interacting with each other even sometimes through cringy dialogue i got really invested in this relationship by the end of it yeah me too and i i got i got to it fairly quick and i have to say i mean it, it, it's a testament to the writing which which you know i mean we said the dialogue wasn't super but there was enough charm to it that even though chloe is a kind of abrasive character that you um uh, you do sort of like her and you, you, you do kind of uh, sympathize with her quite a bit, especially because, I mean, so obviously her, her life kind of falls apart for various different reasons. You know, she she loses her friend Rachel or, you know, she loses her dad and, and a broken family and all this other stuff. But one thing that I think really worked is that they really hammered home that max going to a different school was as big of an impact on her as everything else that happened to her so yeah. it's not just it's not just that oh she changed while while you while your player character was gone but it's 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 very much because that you left that 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 so much of everything has gone wrong and, and so there's that there's yeah, that, it's, uh, it's, that it's, element of it it's portrayed less that um it, it, it it feels like the way Chloe acts and the way Max acts, it's not about Max's family moving away from Arcadia Bay. They play it off like Max actively chose to leave Chloe's life, um, making it just kind of infinitely more traumatic to someone who'd already been through a lot. Yeah, and, and I think another thing that that, that helped the, 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 re- the relationship between those two was that it didn't really feel forced. They really took their time, again, the strength of the episodic format um they it built gradually over time uh that at no point did it feel like uh it was it was unnatural and, and plus there was enough tension al- along the way enough speed bumps enough enough places where they didn't see eye to eye that it did feel like a very natural sort of blooming of a, of a relationship so that was that was really cool um yeah, yeah. As well as being kind of an interesting character study on these two friends getting reacquainted with each other and what do they really mean to each other? Are they friends or what are they? Um, there's there's also the kind of the 
I suppose you might call it a meta narrative, which is this kind of thing that's it's bubbling along the top. That sometimes it's it's the kind of the A story. Sometimes take a backseat to the the drama that's happening in their own personal relationship. And that's the idea of this girl Rachel Amber who has gone missing. And it certainly seems the way the game sets up early. It seems that the game is about you kind of coming back into Chloe's life. She has found a new Max since you, which was this girl Rachel yeah. Amber who has gone missing, and you're going to try and help Chloe find her, almost to prove that you or such a good friend still and that hey I'm, I'm better than this girl or something like that uh, but the, one of the things I really appreciate about it and I, I know you do and a lot of people who are advocates of this game appreciate it how what seems like a, a, a kind of cut and dry missing person or teenage runaway case um, shall we say twists and darkens as things go on yeah and I, I mean I had my perceptions pretty much straight away when you learn of this missing person case of what was likely to happen. Uh, yeah. And I was, I was way wrong. And um, obviously it, it went in, it went in a, in a dark direction. It, uh, yeah. it, it caught me off guard, but not, not in a bad way, not, not in a kind of roll your eyes. Like, Oh, you know, they, they did that just to surprise you. But, but yeah. no, they really, they really hit you with a, with a left hook out of nowhere with that one. And it, and it was kind of one of the more uh, shocking moments of the whole game. Um, yeah, and I, I think I think the relationship with, with Chloe and, and and Rachel is really fascinating because that I mean that the way Chloe kind of talks about it, you know, which we never see obviously because it, it, it's like before Max comes back on the scene, but yeah. it builds it up as this just classic overly dramatic teenage thing of like they were they were renegades and rule breakers together against the system yeah. and and all this other stuff and it, it's and- like you know perfect for chloe's character yeah and there's interesting stuff that happens with chloe as well because the more they start to investigate uh, rachel's disappearance and the more people they talk to the more chloe is finding out that well maybe this rachel person isn't who i thought she was she's finding out different details as she goes along by talking to your man that lives in the rv for example uh, and a few other people she's finding out details like oh this she's she's really not who i thought she was um so it's interesting to see the, the kind of like the, the way uh, um, teenagers can often build people up to be on such a pedestal, get yeah. knocked right back down to, like to uh, to reality. Um, and, and the stuff that gets caught up as they go along through this mystery, the kind of like the, the, the almost the sidebars that happen, um, like the case of uh, there's a couple of characters whose names just escape me at the moment. The 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 popular kind of preppy girl who comes Victoria. off like, Victoria, yeah. who comes off like an absolute monster. But depending on how you kind of interact with her throughout the game, you kind of get to see a different side of her as well. And then there's this one kind of uh, kind of almost uh, just manic depressive girl who um, is going through a horrible time with Victoria and her ilk, uh, bullying her a lot over some things that happened at this mysterious Vortex Club party um, and, and interacting with her and her arc and kind of... Um, you can kind of peer beneath the the surface layer of what's happening with her as well. There's a lot of this kind of, depending on how you want to interact with the story, there's a lot of people that, like we said in episode one, can come off as caricatures. But if you take the time in the game to dig beneath the surface and actually interact with them properly, a lot of them have pretty grounded and uh, interesting reasons as to why they are the way they are, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and even uh, I mean, even some like really minor. I can't remember their their names, but 
there's, I think there's a character in like episode one, I think, that you can get, like snoop around her room and find like a pregnancy test or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and, like little things like that. And she's not a major character. That that is not played up in any significant way later on. Mm. Um, she's kind of a bit player in in Victoria's Click, I think. Yeah. Um, but but there's, I mean, pretty much every every bit character has a little bit of personality to them. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's like. Warren, the boy who has the arc with Max that like uh, can stay as sort of a like a platonic friendship, where you can start trying to like develop it into something a little bit more as time goes on, depending on how you choose to interact with him, because he's obviously like doe-eyed for Max. He makes that abundant very early on in in proceedings. Um, there's also the one of my favorite recurring things in it that's kind of like almost uh, a Groundhog style day joke is the one girl who keeps nearly dying or being hit with stuff. And yes, you can, yeah. you, you can you can let her get hit with stuff or like there's one episode where she can be hit with flotation devices and fall into a pool and stuff like that. But if you choose to at that point not ignore her and rewind, you can save her in every episode. Um, that kind of stuff, like the small things, uh, really get to me. Uh, I really enjoyed them. Like there's the janitor uh, outside the dormitories that has his thing with squirrels uh, that you would completely miss if you were just mainlining it. Um, but yeah, like you said, there's a lot of well-rounded out characters in here. And kind of as we get on towards like episode three, four and five, where the, the stakes get higher and higher and higher. Um, one of the things I found that, really locked this game in my head and and put it on another level for me is you kind of develop uh, an additional layer to your power almost whereby looking at a photograph the game is a lot of the 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 game is is based around photography and and different things like that and it, max figures out at a certain point that if she focuses on certain photographs she can jump back to herself at the time of the photograph and there's kind of uh, like half an episode that deals with a, a parallel version of uh, Chloe's life that just absolutely broke my heart. Yeah, yeah. And it touches on one of the things you mentioned earlier about how there's kind of no, there's no right or wrong answer really in any of these things. In some ways, the, the game's kind of a bit fatalistic. It's kind of more about how uh, as, as shitty as your version of, of life is, it, you know, it could conceivably be so much worse or you're, you're better to stick with your current lot than hypothetically try and fix it because you don't know what else you would undo. It's the classic baby Hitler. That we've all, that we've all uh, toyed with. I mean, I, I don't know why Max didn't pick up a history book and, and, and consider looking at those pictures and see if she could go back yeah. and fix that. But um, uh, yeah, that episode three is, 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 uh, is real tough. Uh, and, and leading into episode four, I mean, there's, it, it, I mean, Life is Strange. It's kind, it is kind of the telltale thing of it's, it's less about we have fifty endings because it obviously doesn't. Um, it's more about the the journey along the way and yeah. just you know your your personal take on these decisions, including the one at the beginning of episode four. It, it's really just more for you to to think on rather than to have some kind of profound effect on the game especially especially your brief foray into a different timeline with you know minor spoilers but you know you you don't you don't take up residence in a completely different timeline halfway through the game i mean like we can say that much but um uh it's it, it is it is quite interesting uh, the the other point at which I think this goes up another level for me is um, there there's a moment uh, where I, I think 
it's the moment where the game really starts building towards a climax. And that is, uh, I'm kind of dancing around stuff here because I don't want to spoil endgame or close to endgame stuff here on people because I think everyone should sit down and play it. Um, But there's a a moment of uh, discovery in a barn. Um, Or underneath a barn, more accurately, that um, I, I think once the cogs start turning there and you start figuring out what's going on. It's pretty much relentless from that point in um, kind of just gut punch after gut punch after gut punch. And I I kind of felt for a while there, Barry, I don't know about you, that it kind of right after there's like, there's that revelation and then maybe about half an hour's worth of gameplay later, there's kind of what you might call... a moment of realization as to what has actually been happening compared to what you thought had been happening. Uh, And at that moment, once that started to reveal itself, I thought there actually is no good way out of this. It's a zero sum game. I, I, there is no happy ending to this. Uh, And it's rare that games can actually get me in that nihilistic sort of mindset. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and it's yeah. Once the game really starts to show its hand, I mean, I mean, I didn't see the true nature of the plot coming. First of all, I feel like all the surprises were pretty damn well concealed without being stupid. Um, and yeah, yeah they, very, they, it, they weren't they weren't twists that made no sense. I think when you think about it, looking back, they all did make sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yet, but but yet, and there's foreshadowing there when you go back. Because I remember, I uh, when I was finished, I went back and I watched like the Giant Bomb playthrough. And I, when you watch other people play something like this after you've beaten it, you like see, oh, okay, here's a little nod here, here's a little acknowledgement there. You know, these these things were were hinted at. Um, but yeah, you, you mentioned how things kind of amp up there in the second half of, of episode four. I mean, I, I think this game definitely has a a, a Breaking Bad esque closing streak, where like the entire second half of the last season of that show is just like roller coaster after roller coaster every episode is completely mind blowing and shocking i mean that's that's kind of life is strange uh the, the the revelations at the end of episode 4 are crazy and then episode 5 is just bonkers it is just bonkers it is non-stop uh, uh insanity um and and that was really at the point where i i mean i was already way into the game at this point like i said i kind of came around in episode 2 or 3 but by the time you get to 5 I really started to appreciate it. It is a game where it's about kind of more than the sum of its parts. Um, uh, you know, this is in the writing, you know, the fact that it's technically not a Marvel. Uh, it's kind of Telltale-esque in its gameplay. Some of the puzzles are kind of basic and, and, and you know, it's it's not, it, it isn't going to blow away any adventure game savants. But, but uh, yeah, it really comes together on, on the home stretch. Absolutely. Um, kind of to, to, to wrap things up here, uh, the, the ending, so there's a, a couple of different endings uh, you can have here. And one of the interesting things, when I when I took to Twitter after finishing this game, uh, without kind of spoiling it, I, I can say that yourself and myself disagreed on where we should have taken it at the end. And that's one of my favorite things about these, uh, the, the potential of these kind of... Um, butterfly effect narrative driven games is that you can get different endings where I'm sure you feel 100% justified in the actions that you made towards the end of that game whereas I feel definitely justified by my own internal logic the way I played through the game Um, how did your version of the ending ring with you were you you satisfied with it was it a happy ending to you Um, what did you think when you you put the controller down at the end 
I mean, like we said, it's kind of a nihilistic game, kind of a fatalistic game. So there, I don't know that there is a happy ending per se. Although bo- both endings are kind of dark, but they have their tinge of satisfaction to them. So with my one that I picked, there's a level of closure to it um, that I feel like they kind of acknowledge uh, in this. They, 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 you know, you feel like the story is kind of wrapped up in a satisfying way. Uh, I think yeah. your ending is maybe a bit more traditionally happy, although it has some yeah. dark ramifications. Um, yeah, I, I, I do love a game where there's where multiple endings and people feveredly believe in their ending and their choice is true to them, but it's not true to other people. I mean, I think that's that's really great. One of my uh, one of my gripes, uh, sort of about this game, and this is a problem I have with a lot of games that have multiple endings, is I, I really dislike the. Um, the feeling that that this one ending kind of got all the um, uh, effort is maybe the wrong word, but one ending feels worse in terms of production. If you know what I yeah. mean, I feel like one, the ending one one feels like the one they want to be the canon ending, and the one is kind of the alternate deleted scene ending. Right. A good example of that is is uh, just as, as a sidebar is a GTA Five. GTA Five, a game that has like no player choice at all at any point, gives you a choice at the end. You could either choose to like kill one of the protagonists or go on a big suicide mission together. And uh, the suicide mission option is like this grand, gigantic, expendable-style mission that ends with everyone riding it off into the sunset. And I don't know why they didn't just make that the canon ending because the other three are like, just so profoundly miserable because you kill one of the protagonists. They're all very uh, nihilistic and it's kind of ho-hum. And I'm like, why are these in here? Why are these even in here? Because these, these don't feel as fleshed out or interesting or as satisfying. And Life is Strange is kind of like that. Not to boast that I made the right choice, but I feel like the the, the ending I picked, it's very grandiose. They have a really powerful montage at the end of it. They tie things together in an interesting way. And, of course, as you always do with games like this, I went straight on YouTube and I watched the other ending. And it's, it's like, short and it's less um, mm. it's less grandiose and it's less... Uh, I mean, the, like we mentioned, kind of Life is Strange, kind of just going for the whole indie film vibe. I mean, the one I, I got is very much your, your closing uh, uh, coming-of-age indie film montage, whereas the, the other one I just thought was kind of underdeveloped and felt like... If someone if someone came into the room a month before release and said we've decided to scrap the the two endings gimmick you got to pick one I feel like they they obviously had one that they would much rather the more they have a more lavish production that if they were to pick they'd probably put one in the game and not the other. Uh, my my final kind of question for you here, Barry, uh, concerns yeah. some of the stuff we've learned recently about Life is Strange, and that is not only that are we uh, getting quite soon actually a prequel in Life is Strange Before the Storm, but also some form of a sequel that we don't really know a whole hell of a lot about. Now, normally when prequels or sequels or whatever come out, I'm like, well, it's fine. Companies can do whatever they want with their own IP, and it doesn't necessarily ruin the experience I had. Um, But it's kind of, it's a weird thing for such a narrative-heavy game that I think is... There, there's certain elements to Life is Strange that are so strong based on the fact that we are kind of like, for example, with Rachel Amber, we're learning a lot about her through Chloe and there's a lot to be 
there's a lot to enjoy about what is and isn't said and that you pick up on during this game. I don't necessarily know if I want to see something as explicit as a prequel that in- involves Rachel herself. I feel that kind of may take away some of the subtlety that this game has. And the same with a sequel. I, I-, I may have some concerns about whether I actually want to revisit these characters and that world because I feel even though I, I got the, like you said, the, the ending that has maybe less production value to it, I feel kind of happy with my time spent in Arcadia Bay and didn't necessarily, as much as I'm excited to play it, I, it wasn't a sequel I necessarily needed. Uh, what, what are your thoughts or possibly concerns on the prequel and sequel? Yeah, I think the sequel is uh, uh, new characters, I'm pretty sure. They, they kind of they've danced around us. Yeah, I, it's not I it's not super clear. I mean, it, it's tough. It's the same as the Last of Us problem. You you half the yeah. audience saying please go back to these characters, and you half the audience saying no, please don't go back to these characters because they they you know they're, they're they liked the finality of what they got. So I mean, it's super tough. I I don't I don't envy them. I with the sequel, I will I would rather have new characters, especially especially because I mean, you and I just discussed how great it is that people have their endings and it's their yeah. it's their ending and they will debate and argue um uh over which one is right i mean uh, to, to come out and make one of them canon i think would just be yeah. craziness you're, be you're, craziness. you're doing a you're doing a mass effect because that's one of the, the criticisms right. of, of of two and three and then into andromeda is that you because you're sequeling these games that had crucial decisions right at the end you may as well have not had the decision because now you're saying one is canon and one doesn't really count yeah, so that's that's really tough. So I, I'm I'm all for them going in a new new direction for that. For the prequel, I mean, I don't know if people. I mean, if some people have played it. There's previews out there, and they're pretty much all very tepid. Um, I I much prefer the idea of not seeing Rachel Amber um, and not seeing that whole relationship as it happened before Max came along. I was way into that. Um, the the trailers I, I I obviously haven't played the demo or, or whatever they were showing people at E three or whatnot but they put out a trailer and just the way these characters were interacting I was like oh, who's the who's the nice character here who's the Max because it's not either you two um, yeah. it's kind of a problem I, I I you know like that that Uncharted standalone thing that's coming out I'm like where's the funny guy where's where's the nice guy to play off YouTube because he ain't you know you two are a bit are a bit firm that that kind of looks like life is strange that there's no bubbly protagonist to to break it up. But also, I mean, the lack of the time powers, the the everything about it, I'm extremely trepidatious about. So sequel, thumbs up, go for it, get creative, do something wild. Prequel, I'll play it based on the strength of the of the of the main game, but I cautious to to, to say the very least uh, on on that upcoming uh, prequel. And we'll we'll find out soon enough because it it's it's August, I'm pretty sure. So yeah, I think it is. Yeah, uh, Barry, just to to sum things up, uh, we like to end these book club features with uh, what we call our elevator pitch. So if you hopped into an elevator with somebody and you had one elevator ride to convince them that Life is Strange is a game worth playing, uh, what would be your couple of sentences to kind of hook them on it? Okay, well, if you like everyone have thought of going back to high school and having time travel abilities to undo all the stupid <laughs> things you did in high school, this is the game for you, and you'll get to see all the new ways you can mess it up uh, <laughs> when you go back to fix it. So, so I mean, I think that I think that would sum it up pretty well. Yeah, that, go back that, to high that, school and sneeze on that pterodactyl. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and then you come back, and, and it, it is indeed a disturbing universe. 
that's cool, Barry. Thank you very much for being on the show yet again. Do you have anything to plug, Twitter, YouTube, all that sort of good stuff before you go off the line here? Yeah, yeah, all, all the usual. Twitter.com slash the Barry Lad for, for updates or whatever. I'm up to YouTube.com slash Barry Murphy Lad for got a full life of strange faith up there. You can check out that. Also various other bits and bobs. And uh, the Barry Lad.com is where I post miscellaneous reviews, not on any kind of schedule, not on any kind of format. It's it's kind of just a uh, a rolling portfolio slash idea board that I throw things up on. So you can check that out at your at your convenience as well. Cool, Barry, thank you very much, and we hope to have you back on the show very soon. Thanks. Oh, hiya, Cosgrove. You want to go to the Honey Harvest Festival in Acton? Really? Are, are you serious? Yes, yes, yes! Mark, we have one last bit of business for the podcast, as we do every week, and that is to announce what our book club game is going to be next week. And it is your turn, my friend. Yeah. Do not so, disappoint me. No. So I know we were we were talking about this earlier and the um, the unfortunate side of how things have turned out. But I feel like, and I'm surprised we haven't discussed this game yet, but it's 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 a pretty significant game in the last sort of, 10 years or so. Uh, I think it's time to talk about breakdown, dissect, whatever. Uh, Minecraft. Mm. Interesting. Yes, I have many thoughts on 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 Minecraft as as quite an interested party in that. That'll be that'll be a fun one, I think. Yeah. Uh, in spite of what if, its creator has <laughs> gone on to become. You know what? I think we'll try and leave all of that kind of to the side yes. and just we, we'll focus we, on the we, positives. We'll hang up the fedoras and neck beards. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, talk about the the happy fun times that is Minecraft. Generally speaking, yeah, that's cool. Episode seventy three of Link to the Cast will be Minecraft. Uh, that's going to do it for episode seventy two of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and most other podcast platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast. Subscribe to us there. Give us a rating and review. It all helps with our search engine optimization, which is a thing we love to talk about here. Link to the Cast.eu is the website where you can check out our show notes for the podcast. You can check out. Sometimes we write articles up there. Sometimes we drop links to our videos. That's the website. If you want to get in touch with us, drop us an email, if that's what you like to do, at linktothecast at gmail.com. Tell Mark you like his style, whatever you want to do. Social media, facebook.com forward slash linktothecast and at linktothecast on Twitter are probably the most reliable ways to contact us and keep up to date with what we are doing. Individually, I am at Dave Ryan IV and Mark is at Lithium Project. Sometimes, Mark, we stream games over at twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast and then archive them later on YouTube. And you can look for our YouTube channel. Just search for link to the cast, either as all one word or separately, whatever way you choose to move through the world. Subscribe to us there as well. We'd really appreciate it. We have a weekly video and content schedule. Mondays is generally Mark on Mondays, but as I promised... I come back to this. Hey, Mark, what did you do this week? Well, what's on Wednesday, Dave? Tell me about Wednesday. Mark, you're going through. Uh, you're going, Mark you're going so through a tunnel, are you? Monday, so <laughs> so overrated. It's the first day of the week. No one wants to talk about Monday. <laughs> Retro Corner sixty four is our Wednesday series where we are chronologically playing through every single Nintendo sixty four game that was released in English speaking territories. Mark, do you happen to know what's up this week? We did Blast Core last week. Uh, Jesus, what was the second game we did in our bundle of games? I can't was remember. It, was it? Was it? <laughs> 
international superstar stock soccer maybe it may well have been we've yeah. got some uh yeah we got some good stuff coming up in the next while i think we're starting to hit our stride with uh even though there are some absolute clutters of games coming out on the uh-huh. n64 we're starting to hit the console stride in terms of every second or third game now has somewhat decent quality for the next while so that'll spare our sanity do you know what's uh, an n64 game that i completely forgotten about but it's actually kind of great it's what's that very much in uh peter willington's kind of seven out of ten spectrum of kind of is weird it glover games. it is glover indeed wow oh what a pull that was <laughs> i was actually thinking about glover early on today i don't know why it just came into my head was anyway, you watching predator yeah. 2 or I don't know. that's it. okay that is a, a pretty good 7 out of 10 game yeah but uh thursday is the day the podcast comes out it's an hour and a half or two hours long so we don't really put out any other content on that day so that you can just enjoy the podcast in its entirety share it around the place tell a friend you know how it goes Friday is Friday Plays, where we finish off the week with my solo playthrough. And this week, Mark, finally coming to an end on Life is Strange. It's been an emotional ride. We talked about it with Barry on this podcast. Now you'll get to see mine and Mark's reactions to playing through the finale of this game and having a bit of a chat over the credits at the end. Keeping in mind that I missed about three episodes in the middle. Yeah, he he got caught up pretty well, I think, by the end. But uh, yeah, we we play through the very end of this game this week. And the complete long play series of that for Friday Plays is up in its own playlist on our YouTube channel. Um, And in addition to that, as Barry said, you could check out his playthrough of it as well and see him get the ending that I don't think is the true ending. I think I got the true ending, but that's up for everybody else here to decide. Like I said, that's going to do it for episode 72 of Link to the Cast. I have been Dave Ryan. The man on the line here with me has been Mark Robinson, and we shall talk to you again in one week's time. Let's go see Spider-Man. Yeah!